Hey everybody, before we get started, uh, we care about you and the Grace Story community and your well-being. So we wanted to let you know in this episode, there is discussion of potentially disturbing uh, content for some listeners, including death and loss. So I wanted to let you know that before we get started. Welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. My name's Nate Davison, and I am your host here at Grace Story Podcast, and it is a pleasure to be with you again here in a new year, first episode of 2021. And while it seems that uh, not much has changed. I'm not sure some of us expected much different uh, because changing a calendar day uh, doesn't change, uh, you know, who people are, but it also doesn't change who God is. Uh, God has not changed. He's not taken by surprise by anything that has happened. Uh, he's still in control of situations and your life, and he's still, you know, on the throne. So he's also interested still in your journey of restoration. You know, Many of us along our journeys of restoration, especially over this past year, have experienced loss on some level, uh, whether that's a loved one, um, whether that's a career, um, some form of identity for ourselves, or or even just a loss of control. Uh, and there's different ways that we grieve those losses. Um, some are healthy and some are not so healthy. Um, so beginning this year, uh, we wanted to take a look at something uh, a topic that would be helpful to all of us here in the Grace Story community. And we couldn't think of anything more relevant. Um, you know, there was many suggestions, but nothing more relevant than addressing that sense of loss um, and the need for grief on, on several different levels. So this first episode is uh, part one of two episodes we're going to have uh, with our first storyteller of this series, and that's Paul Stetler. Paul Stetler is joining us from Florida, and he's going to be talking to us about um, the loss of a, a spouse and then also how he processed through that. Um, and I'll tell you, it is, it is very, um, the content can be a little bit um, deep, um, and especially in the processing. I mean, he just walks us through in detail how he worked through that uh, journey of restoration, which he is still on, um, a beautiful journey of restoration with God at his side. So let's jump into the first of two episodes of our conversation with Paul Stetler. Paul Stetler, uh, it's been a while, but I'm glad to have you on the program today. You're joining us from Florida, um, and I'm up here in, well, it's not as sunny here. I'll, I'll tell you that up here in Indiana. <laughs> I don't know what it's like down there, uh, but thanks for coming on the show today. <laughs> well, it is great to be here. And I'll tell you, there's there's just panic and disorder down here because we're all freezing to death. It got down to 43 last night and everybody's getting out their parkas. So <laughs> I, probably more than that, staying indoors, running out of milk and bread. Uh, it sounds, sounds really, really tough. We, we hit, I think it was 16 uh, this morning. So, um, <laughs> but you know, you mentioned that a lot of confusion, a lot of, uh, disorder. We, we, we seem to be having a lot of that in the world right now, as we enter into 2021, a lot of stuff that can kind of steal our focus off of, um, well, those new year's resolutions for one, but off of God. Um, but what yes. is it that you've been concentrating on or, or focusing on or trying to keep your focus through? You know, that's, that's an interesting question because so many people are, are so depressed right now, you know, just with 
the pandemic and with um, all sorts of upheaval in our country. And I've talked to several people, uh, some of whom are just almost in despair. And I've, I've had the opportunity to say to them, you know what? One of the unique things about my story is that I probably already lived the worst day of my life. And God was there and he was right beside me and he picked me up and he began to put my life back together. And that gives me such a tremendous confidence that whatever happens, God is there and he will be there. And he is more than able to oversee uh, all of the events of this world, just as he has overseen my life. And, and as I look back, I see that he has planned every step. He has been in control of every step. And I have such great faith in him today. Well, I know we're going to get into your story just a little bit, but, um, you know, we've been talking in the pre-show about the context around how you share this, this part of your life. It's my understanding there's a little bit more to it than just an accident loss. There's uh, more to it for Jacinda herself. Yes, indeed. And uh, it, it, it's an incredible story how God brought two lives together in such a beautiful way. Um, I was, I was 38 years old and, uh, never married. And my parents wondered if I ever would get married (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, Jacinda was 10 years younger than me. Um, but she, um, she had spent a number of years in a relationship that, uh, she knew early on was not God's will. And, uh, not that, not that either party was a bad person. It just wasn't God's plan. And she knew that, but she spent a number of years trying to make that work. And way back in, in high school, early high school, Jacinda talked about God giving her a promise from, uh, Psalm 37. And the scripture says, delight yourself also in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It says, commit your way into the Lord, trust also in him, and he will bring it to pass. And she interpreted that verse as saying, basically, early on, she said, if, if, if I'm a Christian and I, you know, I, I say I want to do God's will, then, then God's going to make all my plans come to pass. Well, she quickly began to realize as she lived life that those things were not coming to pass as she had hoped or planned. But... What she came to realize later and what what both of us came to realize in such a profound way is that God was directing every footstep along the way. Uh, Really, her situation came to a head. Um, She had been struggling with surrendering her life to God. I mean, radically surrendering her life to God. And uh, she had been in a relationship for a number of years, as I said. And there was one Sunday morning in church when she was sitting there and the, the, the pastor stood up to preach and he took his text from the book of Esther and he entitled his sermon, This Is Your Moment. And he began to read those verses uh, from the book of Esther and she was sitting beside her mother in church and she leaned over and she said, Mom, this sermon is for me. And uh, it was it was kind of a, an amazing moment uh, as the sermon began to unfold. The final point that the pastor made was your moment of abandonment 
and he brought out the point from Esther where Mordecai said to Esther, this is your moment to save your people. You must go before the king and plead the cause of your people, even though it risks your life. And Esther, of course, uttered those incredible words, if I perish, I perish. Um, Mordecai said, maybe you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And that was her moment of abandonment. And at that moment, um, she leaned over to her mother and showed her what she had written in her church journal. She always took a journal to church and she had beautiful calligraphy handwriting. And she wrote on those lines in that, in that journal, if I perish, I perish. And she said that was her moment of complete abandonment to God. And, uh, she, uh, she thought to herself, maybe I'll be an old maid all my life. You know, maybe I'll never get married. Maybe I'll never, um, achieve some of the dreams that are in my heart. And she leaned over to her mom and with tears streaming down her face, she whispered, if I'm single, I'm single. And it was in that moment that, that God witnessed to her heart that she had made a full and complete consecration. And she went from that church service, a different person. And ironically, um, that was new year's Eve uh, 2017 going into the year 2018. And that very night at the stroke of midnight, I messaged her and said, happy new year. And that started a conversation that did not stop until the day that she went to be with Jesus. And so it's, it's just, a, there's a beautiful foundation there of surrender and committing her way to the Lord. And, uh, the desires that she didn't even know she had began to be fulfilled at that point. Well, that's awesome. But I, and that couldn't have been easy. I mean, obviously there's sounds of emotion there, tears coming down her face as she makes a commitment that she's not sure where that's going to go. Um, that's, that's an amazing thing. And then, you know, fast forward, cause that, that story doesn't end there. Uh, you know, the marriage right. and, and, uh, the, the time you guys had together. Um, and then that fast forwards to uh, a tragic day that, uh, may have been different without that, that, uh, that decision, but yes. certainly was part of her storyline in God's plan. It sounds like. Absolutely. Yes. Jacinda, she uh, grew up on a farm in Indiana. She was the fourth generation on the family farm and just has a wonderful, loving family. And early on, she figured out that she wanted to be a teacher. She would teach her little brothers, and uh, she had three younger brothers, and she would she would always uh, play school, and she would be the teacher, you know, and, and that's the profession that God led her into. And uh, she became a very excellent teacher. She graduated from high school, went to Ball State University, um, and she felt that her mission was to teach in the public school. Uh, she had attended public school, uh, in a rural public school there in Indiana, uh, a country school district uh, where everybody everybody knows everybody, and most of her Christians were, or most of her teachers were Christians. Um, and then after she graduated, she plunged into urban Indianapolis and became a teacher in an urban school district. and And what a transition that was! Um, but during that time, she affected the lives of so many students. She was an amazing teacher. Uh, she loved those students. And I remember um, as we entered into a relationship following that initial contact on New Year's Eve, um, we had actually spoken a few nights before at a youth lock-in, but that's another story. That was a, <laughs> kind of the launch pad of our, our relationship. But 
she was just so full of stories from her teaching career and and uh, talking about her students and how much she loved them and what a burden she had for them. And, and uh, she had such an impact as a teacher. But what we came to realize was that God had an even broader and deeper impact that he wanted her to achieve in her life. And um, that came to fruition through a painful path. Um, we got married and after a, a whirlwind courtship, I guess I could say, we, we uh, all together, including our engagement period, our relationship was nine months prior to marriage. When you know, and you then know. On a, when you know, you know. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and we knew, oh my, did we ever know? I mean, it, just two weeks in, she, she said uh, she knew that, that this was the right thing. It took me a little longer. You know us guys, uh, sometimes we're a little thick-headed, and I, it took me about four weeks, but uh, oh, anyhow. Four weeks. <laughs> so much, yeah. almost double the time. My goodness, yes. A whole month. <laughs> oh, dear. But uh, our lives just flowed together so rapidly, and we found that we had so much in common. And um, it really was a match made in heaven. And I, and I say that both figuratively and literally. Mm. Um, it was in, in every way. And, uh, and then, then we got married and God began to, uh, to open doors of ministry where we were able to, uh, do conventions, revivals, camps together. And uh, we were in people's homes. We spoke at, at youth events. Uh, she shared her testimony. We sang together. I preached and, and, uh, you know, I thought, well, this is great. This will be a a life of, uh, ministering and caring about people. And she was working on a master's degree. And, um, obviously we were planning on having children and someday she wanted to get back into teaching. And, uh, and then God, um, God obviously had a, a different plan. Um, but through the events that unfolded with the accident and her going to be with the Lord, um, her life has touched thousands and thousands and thousands of people. It's just astonishing. And uh, so I marvel at, at what God has done. So I, and I want to go to that day in just a moment and, you know, have you walk us through the events. Um, but as I'm listening to you, I'm hearing more than, you know, loss of a spouse here. I'm hearing, you know, loss of children, loss of dreams, uh, loss of, you know, that gift of service you wanted to give back to God and others. Um, it just seems to me that there is so many levels here uh, to, to work through um, that it's more than just that one day or the events around it, although, yeah, we will talk about that. But uh, as you start to unfold some of these things, um, how, how deep of, of a level does that go, the loss? Are there different things that you work on one moment or as they come up or uh, do you concentrate on a timeline or how does that work looking through all that? Well, that is, that's a complex question. It's an excellent question. Um, I, I guess I would have to, before I answer that, share this. I was happy as a single person. You know, I had been single all these years. I had had several dating relationships, none of which obviously ultimately worked out or proved to be God's will. Um, all of them were fine people, but uh, it, it just wasn't the right thing. And I had sort of become content uh, in my comfort zone, um, working at 
Hopetown Bible College, um, having a, a wonderful family around me and, and good friends and, and uh, you know, a, a modest but nice home and, you know, just kind of a comfort zone. And when my sister had her first child and I became an uncle for the first time, something stirred within me that said, you know what, you're missing out on some really beautiful things in life um, by being single like this. And uh, that was one of the things that God used to begin to awaken me that he had a new face for my life. And uh, this is, this is kind of a, a, a funny little story. Um, my sisters were always trying to match make and uh, find someone for me. And I would just roll my eyes, you know, and I remember on one occasion, um, most of us in the family were working in an academic setting. And so, uh, we were away for the summer in different directions and we came home that summer. That would have been the summer of 2017. Um, we came home coming back, regathering for the school year in Hope Sound. We were at my parents' dinner table for a Sunday meal. We all get together on Sundays. And, um, my sister said, Paul, I have a girl for you. And, uh, I just rolled my eyes, same song, hundredth <laughs> verse, here we go again, you know? And, uh, she said, Jacinda Edwards. And my response was she's dating. Mm, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, I, I, uh, apparently that piqued Julia's interest because usually I had 10 reasons why the person she suggested would uh, not work that I would just rattle off. You didn't and say no. Said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She said the only thing he said was she's dating. So yes, my sister had been on a cruise with the Collingsworth family. Uh, their oldest daughter was on maternity leave and she was singing with them, Julia. And, um, Julia was good friends with Olivia Collingsworth and with Charlene Collingsworth and Charlene is Jacinda's cousin. And they had been talking about the fact that they were trying to find a guy for Jacinda. And, uh, I was not aware that this conversation had taken place. As far as I knew, she was still dating. It was, uh, you know, not even a factor. And, um, well, when Julia mentioned that I, I said, you know, she's dating and that's it. And, but I went home and I started looking her up on Facebook and started doing a little research and, uh, I liked what I found. And of course I didn't let on to my family because I knew that if I did, they would have a hundred questions every time we got together. Um, but then fast forward to Thanksgiving and, um, the news had then become public that she was no longer in that relationship. And so, uh, Julia came to the dinner table at Thanksgiving and she said, Paul, um, Jacinda single. And I didn't say much. I had to still maintain my facade of disinterest. Um, but I went home and found out that her birthday was a couple days later. And so I messaged her happy birthday on her birthday. Nice. And, uh, she was sitting with her family at the time. She told me later and she said, she was kind of shocked. And she said, mom and dad, Paul Stetler just messaged me happy birthday. And she said her mom went, Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so that was the first spark of interest. Uh, but there was no further contact until a youth convention, uh, teens triumph. And it's called in Indianapolis. It's, it's a lock-in that they have around uh, new year's Eve. And so, uh, it, it was a couple of days prior to new year's Eve that year because new year's day was on a Sunday. And so, uh, it so happened that I was scheduled to preach there and my sisters and I were singing at this event 
And uh, Jacinda was asked to come and be a team leader. And so uh, we met there and we started talking and uh, then we didn't talk for a couple of days. And then I messaged her on New Year's Eve and, and uh, it kicked off from there. So, well, it sounds like God has a way of uh, bringing things together uh, when his plan is and when his timing is perfect for his plan. Um, and then moving, moving forward through that. So you, you've gone through ministry. Uh, you guys are planning things, you know, you, you're, you're taking trips, you're doing just the whole marriage thing. Uh, and then we get to a point where the story, which is not over, as you say, it continues on, but where it definitely takes that decided turn um, on a tragic day. Um, would you just walk us through that, that day um, in whatever way you'd like to do, just so we can understand a little bit more about what happened? Sure. Um, we had the most beautiful marriage imaginable. It was like a, it was like a, a 22 month honeymoon. Um, and we just had, uh, wonderful times together and we're so in love and didn't really have much time to get in any fights. Um, and we were, we had just come past our first anniversary, uh, which was September the 1st of 2019 and uh, we spent it in a boarded up house because there was a lovely hurricane that came our way. And <laughs> I kind of wanted to make that up to her. The fact that we spent our first, um, anniversary that way. And as we approached Thanksgiving, um, I could see that she was really missing her family, even though she was loving life married and down here in Florida and, and loved our house and everything. She was missing her family. And, uh, so, I had already told her that we were going to go to her parents' home for Thanksgiving. But uh, then I told her, you know, let's go up a little early because your birthday is two days before. Um, and so her birthday was the 24th of November. And so what I did not tell her was that on the way up, I was going to take her to the Biltmore estate and we were going to, have a special birthday dinner. We were going to get a picture taken for our Christmas card. We were going to spend the night there in that beautiful setting. And then I was going to take her on to Indiana to her parents' home from there. Um, we, we didn't make it. Um, we were driving up 95 and we got about two hours into our trip. And honestly, it, it, it still boggles my mind because I have driven so many trips in my life, uh, long trips, sometimes through the night trips. And, uh, often I will struggle to stay awake in the afternoons or late at night. Uh, but morning is always my best time. We had gotten a good night's sleep the night before. Um, we left at a reasonable time that morning. Um, we had our seatbelts on the, the, uh, cruise control was on a reasonable speed and I 95 is pretty straight and flat. And, uh, I had suggested after a nice time of chatting together and just sort of enjoying each other's company, uh, you know, holding hands there in the car, I suggested to her that she take a nap so that we could switch drivers later on. And she fell asleep there in the seat and, um, I fell asleep and I can't explain it. 
it was about 9.30 in the morning, a very unusual time for me to even be tired. I'm a morning person. And I fell asleep and I woke up right before impact. There was a semi in front of us and he was running out of fuel and he had slowed way down. And I came to and when my eyes came open, I saw a semi right in front of us. And I had just enough time to crank the wheel. Um, if I hadn't cranked the wheel, we would both be dead. Um, if I had cranked the wheel to the right, I would have been dead and she would probably have survived. Um, I don't know why, I guess because we were in the slow lane and there was a ditch on the right and there was pavement on the left. I just thought, you know, I'll crank the wheel to the left in that split second. You don't really have time to process anything. And I cranked the wheel and the rear end of that semi-trailer penetrated our vehicle. And the roof of the vehicle was torn down beside me. So I couldn't see what was going on in the passenger side. And we spun down into the ditch and when we stopped spinning, I called out, Jacinda, are you okay? And there was no response. And all of a sudden it dawned on me what the possible outcome of this had been. And I jumped out of the car and I ran around to the side and the, the whole side of the vehicle was ripped open. And I will never ever get over what I saw in that moment. And I just started yelling, no, no. Oh God. Oh God. No. And God sent a man. Uh, I assume he was a man. He could have been an angel for all I know, but uh, it was a soldier, a man from the Navy. And he came running down the side and he looked over my shoulder and he saw what I had seen. And he grabbed my arm and he yanked me up back to the road and said, you, you got to get away from here. And I was standing up on the side of the road, uh, just doubled over, just reeling. And all I could say was the name of Jesus just again and again and again, just Jesus, 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 Jesus. And in the blur of that moment, the emergency vehicles came very quickly and they put me in the back of the ambulance and hustled me off to the hospital. And I had to make that awful, awful phone call. Um, first of all, I called my father and I told him what had happened and he was very broken. And he said, I'll, I'm headed to the car right now. I'll be there. It's two hours, two hours from home. And he started heading North. And then I, I knew I had to call her parents and that was the most awful thing that I could even imagine doing. Um, and my cell phone was still in the vehicle. And so I had to use the hospital phone. And so I, I began calling uh, her father's number. I had to get that number from my dad actually, because it was in my cell phone. 
and he didn't respond. He assumed it was a telemarketer. It was a, an unfamiliar number from Florida. And I had to call six times. And I really think that was of God because it, it, it gave me a little breathing space, a little time to calm down just a little bit. And uh, when he did pick up, because he saw that the number kept calling and he assumed it must be something serious. When he picked up, he was, he was with Larie, uh, my mother-in-law. They were together. And he immediately turned to her and said, Jacinda's dead. And I will never, ever, ever recover from the sound of a mother grieving the loss of her child. Um, never. And I just began crying with him once again. And I, I was saying, I remember, I remember all of this like it was yesterday. I, I remember saying, why, why couldn't it have been me? Why couldn't it have been, been me instead of her? And God gave my father-in-law the presence of mind in the midst of the shock and horror that his only daughter had just died, um, he stopped and he said, Paul, I want you to know something. Nothing has changed. You are our son and we love you. And that was of God because if I hadn't heard those words, I could have lost my mind. Um, and once Larie composed herself, she called my father and she said, please tell him that he's our son and we love him and nothing has changed. And hearing that from both of them made an incredible, incredible difference. My father arrived at the hospital along with my pastor at Ellison. And I'm so grateful that he was willing to come at that moment. And... Uh, one of the things that we did, it probably wasn't a wise thing to do and looking back, but it's what we did. And maybe it, maybe it helped in some odd way. I don't know. Um, after we left the hospital, I was, I was okay. I mean, I, I had a swollen sprained hand. Uh, I had some cuts and bruises, but I was okay. Um, we went to the junkyard. Uh, they had already hauled the vehicle there. Uh, to retrieve, you know, I needed to get my cell phone back and, and get what we could. And I'll never forget, we walked around the corner. And when my father saw that vehicle, he stopped in the middle of the driveway and just wept. And he said, Paul, I can't believe you're still here. And he said, all I can say is God must have an incredible purpose for the rest of your life to have spared your life in this situation and uh, all the way home. Um, all I could say was the name of Jesus, uh, dad and pastor Ellison. I think they understood that I didn't need conversation right then. And so they talked quietly amongst themselves up front and I just sat back and I just said the name of Jesus over and over again. And, uh, all the way home. When I got home, my, my family, they were all there and they, they wrapped me up in their arms and they wept with me. And, uh, 
and I, I owe such a huge, huge debt of gratitude to them for being so loving and so supportive. Um, but it was without any question, the worst day of my life. Um, and as you, as you asked me at the beginning of this, this, uh, thought process here, what was it like hopes and dreams, et cetera. I looked out in front of me and my whole world had just collapsed. Like all of my hopes and dreams had been centered around Jacinda. She had become my world. So, so quickly, uh, I had completely put behind me that single life that I actually enjoyed. That was, that was gone. I was done with that. I was all about her. I loved her with every fiber of my being. I loved her more than myself, more than life itself. And, and now she was gone. And, uh, I looked ahead and it was just like, a it was just like a white sheet, a blank white sheet with nothing on it. I could find no purpose. I could find no happiness. I could find no fulfillment. Um, but as we'll, as we'll talk, as the conversation unfolds, God, God began to restore that purpose and those hopes and dreams. Yeah. And, and as I'm listening to your story, I mean, one of the first things that comes to mind as you, 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 it's a very surreal day, but very real as you've not just once, but then after your hospital visit twice, gone back to the scene to confirm this is real. Um, and then you have that whole time home, um, where words fail, but then what are the, what are the next couple of months look like after not to belittle, but the experience of that, you know, what do you revel more in, in the memories and, and the objects that bring back, you know, those memories, do you shut them out? Um, what, what does that look like in your experience the next couple of months after? Well, the first, the first massive hurdle, uh, was of course the funeral. Um, and we had two funerals and, um, we had a funeral here in Hope Sound and then we had a funeral in Ridgeville, Indiana at her home church where her father pastors and funerals are such a mixed blessing. Uh, they're very sweet and very special because all the outpouring of love was just amazing. And so many people, I, you know, I had friends, she had friends that drove hours people flew in from out of state. I mean, uh, the flowers poured in cards pulled, poured in, um, messages. Uh, it was just overwhelming and it was beautiful. Um, of course, you know, our, the first funeral was the day before Thanksgiving and, uh, which made it difficult. Um, but I stood there for hours receiving people, uh, hugging people, talking to people. And, um, her family came down. Um, one of the most traumatizing things, um, was when the funeral director, and by the way, uh, Tom Sproles flew down and worked with our local funeral director to oversee the whole process and then handled all the arrangements in Indiana. And I cannot say enough about yep. Tom fantastic. Sproles. And fantastic. Absolutely. Sproles family funeral home. Um, they were just amazing, went above and beyond in so many ways, but, but he called me and he said, um, Paul, we have a problem. He said, uh, 
the accident was of such a nature that no one here is able to reconstruct her face to make it viewable. But he said, I have, I have something I want to uh, present to you, an idea. He said, I was at a mortician's convention in Chicago a couple of months ago. And he said, I met a man who specializes in reconstructing faces. And he said, this man has, has done this for royalty, for superstars. I mean, he's, he is the best. And he said, I met him at this convention and it seemed like a happenstance, but now I know why. He said, I saw him across the lobby in my hotel and I had recognized him from documentaries and articles and so on. And he said, I, I want to meet this man. And he, he said, I want to went across the lobby and met him. And he said, turns out he was a Nazarene preacher's son. And he said, we connected on spiritual things and had a wonderful conversation. He said, we parted ways with the sense that there was a purpose and a reason for our meeting. And he said, now I know why. And he said, um, I've already spoken to him. And he said, he is willing to come and work through the night to reconstruct the side of her face that was badly damaged in the accident uh, so that the family can view her at the prior to the funeral. And he said, now the only catch is it, it is not cheap. And he quoted the price and it was a little bit shocking. And I spoke to my dad. I mean, Jacinda and I had sat down with a life insurance agent weeks before that and were preparing to sign a policy and we didn't get that far. And so, so we didn't have that. And, um, so as far as I knew, all of this was coming out of, you know, the pocket, but that wasn't really what I was focusing on at that point, obviously. And uh, I spoke to my dad and, and he said, Paul, we're going to do it. We'll, we'll do whatever we have to do. He said, well, I'll loan you the money, you know, we'll, we'll make this happen. And so that's what we did. The man flew in from Michigan. He worked through the night, um, over 24 hours straight. And then I got the call from the funeral director. Um, we would like for you to come and, and view Jacinda and her, her body. And I'll never, ever forget. I, I arrived at the funeral home and I walked up to the doors of their chapel and they had placed her in the chapel. There were no flowers. Um, it was kind of a cold light. I mean, you know, usually they have like the warming lights around the casket and so on. None of that was present because that's not where the funeral was going to take place. It was going to happen at our church. And, and uh, Tom said, Paul, do you want to go in by yourself? Or do you want me to go with you? And I said, I want to go by myself. And as I walked down that aisle, it seemed like such a long aisle. And all I could think of was the first look at our wedding when she walked down the aisle and I was standing up front and I said, now it's reversed. And, um, that was a traumatizing moment. I, I came out of there and, and dad looked at me and he said, you look like you look traumatized. And my dad is not a dramatic person. And, and it was traumatizing. But, he, but God even used that, and God was orchestrating all of this stuff. Um, because at that point, 
I had told Jacinda's family and they were on their way down. I had said, um, you know, we're bringing in the specialist. He's going to reconstruct her side of her face that was damaged. And that raised their hopes. And what I saw in that cold, empty, lonely setting was traumatizing to me. And I immediately called my father-in-law and I said, uh, this is, this is going to be tough. And he shared that with his family and they all decided they wanted to see her anyway. And, uh, but they certainly adjusted their expectations. Well, amazingly enough, and this was, this was a God thing, but later that day, they brought her to the, uh, the auditorium of our church and the lighting was beautiful. Uh, there were warm spotlights. Uh, she was surrounded by flowers. There was music playing. And when I walked in, it looked so different. And when they walked in, they were expecting the worst. And, and uh, God used that crash of their expectations to allow them to appreciate what they did see. And uh, God was just so kind. He was just so loving. I mean, he, he paved the way in so many ways. I could, I could talk all day and I know we, we don't have all day, but uh, just suffice it to say, God, God walked with us in those extremely, extremely difficult days. And I'm so thankful for that. Well, man, as I listen to that, I, I'm first blown away by the decisions that you had to make you know, not even a month out from the original trauma and the re-traumatization. Um, but then, you know, talking to you um, about some of the things that have come out of that, it makes me smile uh, as I listen to you too, because it, it just sounds like the end. It sounds like final. It sounds like this is over and there's damage done that's irreparable and we can't restore this. We can't go back. But I know from our conversations, that's that's not the actual story. Um, it doesn't end there. Um, and maybe maybe you just send us in a different direction from from the funeral to you know those days after to what has been born out of that for you in your journey of restoration. Well, you know what you what you just said is is very insightful because it could have been the end. Um, I'll just be blunt with you. I, I was headed down. I, I could have been headed down a path of mental breakdown and or suicide. Um, I know we don't like to talk about those things. Um, a very dear friend of our family who lost a child in that way called my mother and said, don't let him out of your sight. Um, and she was absolutely right to say that. Um, God began leading me down a path of recovery and that began within 24 hours of the accident, even before the funerals. Um, as I said earlier, uh, on the way home, all I could say was the name of Jesus. I, and that long, you know, two hour car ride back, back to Hope Sound. And I, I talked some with my family, but it was limited conversation. I, 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 didn't know what to say. I mean, I, and, and I was fully aware of my surroundings. I remember all of it in detail, but uh, I remember I, I went to the house uh, to get some clothes and, and confronted uh, 
the house, uh, the bedroom, which by the way, um, when we had our first night after the wedding, uh, we decided to spend our first night here at the house and I decorated the room, you know, with rose petals and all this kind of stuff. And, and, uh, a few weeks after the honeymoon, I, I said to Jacinda, we, we probably should take this stuff down. And she said, no, no, let's keep it up, you know? And, uh, and so even a year in all that stuff was still there. And so that made it all the more traumatizing and painful as I walked into the bedroom and, and hear all of these sweet reminders, but, uh, like a dagger to the heart. And, uh, I went back to my parents for the night. I couldn't stay at my house. I, I, I couldn't stay in the empty house. And, um, I couldn't sleep that night. And as you can imagine, I mean, Satan was just screaming in my ear. Um, and what Satan was saying was you killed your wife and God's not listening to you because you killed your wife. And all night I wrestled with that and I came as close to mental breakdown to losing my mind in that night as, as ever. And, uh, far close, far closer than, <laughs> than I ever want to be to that, uh, sort of a breakdown. And finally I couldn't stand it anymore. I came out of that guest bedroom at my parents' house and I went into the living room. I knew my dad would be in there because, at some point in the night, he transitions from the bed to a recliner. Uh, and so I knew he would be there and he was, and he was asleep. And I just sat there. I just needed to be with someone. And he slept for a good while. And I'm just wrestling with these, these words in my ear that Satan is screaming at me. And finally he woke up and he saw me there and he said, how long have you been here? And I said, I don't know, a couple hours. And I began to share with him what I was struggling with. And he, he wrapped me up in his arms and, and prayed with me. And I felt very loved. I'm so thankful for my dad. Uh, later, my mom came in and, and my mom, um, she's had a couple of nervous breakdowns and she's walked some of those paths before. And she was very encouraging to me as well. But I still couldn't hear the voice of God. And I knew that all the kind words in the world were not going to compensate for me not being able to hear the voice of God and hear some sort of reassurance. And so I walked out of the house and behind my parents' house, there's a dirt street and it goes all the way down to the intercoastal waterway. And uh, I walked that street and it was about five in the morning and I, I tried to pray, but all I could get out was the name of Jesus. I was still just saying the name of Jesus over and over. And I finally got down to the water and I was at the bottom. I was desperate. I, you know, from that moment when I first saw her in the vehicle, it was like somebody had just pulled the floor out from under me and I was in free fall. And as I walked that dirt street that morning, I, I was still in free fall and I reached the end of the road down to the water. And it was at that point that God spoke to me and he asked me a strange question, not audibly, but as real as though it were audible. He said, Paul, why do you keep saying my name? And I didn't even think about it. I just blurted out, 
because of all I know it represents and because it's all I have. And God responded and he said, exactly. He said, you know that I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know that I'm the friend that sticks closer than a brother. You know that when you call on my name, I will answer. And that became the first step in the recovery process. God said, I'm here and you can trust me. And that was the first of what, what became 10 steps of recovery. And it was at that point that I landed. I'd been in free fall and I landed. And what I landed on was the everlasting arms of God that picked me up and started putting me back together and preventing me from losing my mind, preventing me from, from suicidal thoughts and tendencies. And, uh, and that was the first and, and a beautiful process of recovery that God himself has overseen. And uh, I'm so thankful for his faithfulness. Wow. What a beautiful story, not only of, you know, God's, God's sustaining power, uh, not only inspirational and, and a great story of restoration, but also of a beautiful picture of how God connects with us when we're at our lowest point and make sure that we know that he is there and that he is all that we need. You know, this story isn't over yet, though. Um, in two weeks, we're going to be back with part two of Paul Stetler's story, which is ongoing. Um, it, it's a beautiful uh, uh, episode. You're not going to want to miss it, um, where Paul shares with us uh, some of those special moments he has had with God along the way uh, and things that he has learned about loss and grief on his journey of restoration. Now, we hope that you'll join us for that episode. Until then, uh, make sure you tell somebody about the podcast, uh, share an episode with them, or just point them in this direction. Share the, the show on your social media sites. Um, it really does a lot to get good news out there, resources for people on their journeys of restoration. We'll see you in two weeks. Until then, we'll be praying for you.